Good morning, everybody. Oh, you're going to be a quiet Scottish crowd today, hey? I, I apologise for my accent. I realise 48% of you might not want me to be here. <laughs> but uh, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, had a great uh, trip. I was up in Aberdeen yesterday. And uh, your amazing worship leader, Mark, uh, picked me up uh, from a steakhouse on the A90 at one o'clock in the morning uh, in order to bring me here. And that's a round of applause. <clears throat> Not only that, but this morning he was up bright and early. I was here at the nine o'clock uh, service and he cooked me a square sausage for breakfast. <laughs> and I, I think I need to take this back home to England. That's just a, what a great idea. Why does it taste so much better? And uh, what a day to be with you on, on the day that uh, Reverend uh, Dave gets... Um, canonized <laughs> loving that does that mean you get fired from a cannon in the cathedral but anyway just I really hope you're able to be there with him it's a real honor uh, for him to be recognized in this way in the city uh, for the ministry that he's had here over nearly 18 years so fantastic congratulations to you um, let me introduce you a little bit to myself and my family and maybe the best way uh, to do that is a little picture I'd like to show you um, so this is our little crowd. I'm the guy in the middle that looks a little bit like me. And uh, to my, actually, so we're not all that tall. We're, somehow we've stretched ourselves a little bit. But um, my wife is on my right, uh, and then my two boys are flanking me. Uh, that's uh, Joel on this side, and then Luke uh, on that side. It's a slightly out-of-date picture in that both of those boys now are taller than me. And uh, when we meet face-to-face -face or kind of face-to-neck uh, later on, uh, you realise it's not hard for them to be taller than me. Um, and I'm really pleased for them being taller than me because, um, you know, being short's not great unless you're flying. Um, because then economy feels like business, which is <laughs> definitely good. So that's uh, Joel and Luke, 15 and 14. Anna's between me uh, and uh, Luke on this side. She's 13. And then on the front row, uh, we have uh, our adopted daughter. And uh, Ellie uh, came into our family as our first foster placement. And uh, she came in and uh, she came straight from the hospital. And uh, mum had had all sorts of challenges in her life. And the child, unlike uh, the story we just heard, um, was removed from her against her will. And uh, that mum would love to have looked after her little girl, but uh, because of her emotional, psychological and addiction issues, she wasn't able to care for her. And uh, so she came into our care. And uh, after about nine months, um, it looked like mum had got herself into a better place. And so the state put her into a mum and child placement. And we said goodbye to this little one uh, who would come to love as our own child. And uh, that was it. We moved on. Uh, sadly, it broke down and um, she came back into our care and then the social services said, would you be willing to adopt her? And uh, so we were delighted uh, to put ourselves forward for that. And I still remember uh, the court, the day in court that we had, the final hearing. And uh, we'd all dressed up, the whole family had kind of come uh, to this court to um, plead our case. And I was a little bit nervous, wondering whether anything would go wrong at the last minute. And um, I stood in the dock with my family. And, uh, and then the judge invited the children up into his space. And I knew things were going well when he let them play with his hammer. And, <laughs> and sat them on the knees. And uh, he just said, look, I love adoption. I'm normally sending people away. Uh, to prison but today I'm helping a child to have a family 
and uh, such a precious time in our family's life. And uh, Adoption Day uh, means that my daughter gets two rounds of birthday cake. And uh, so on her birthday and then on her adoption day. So that's, uh, that's her story. Uh, on, the, on, on the middle uh, is a lad with not very much hair. Um, he had a really difficult start in life. Uh, this lad uh, came as a refugee with his mum and dad from Ethiopia to the UK. And uh, sadly, his dad had a lot of challenges in his life, including uh, a really violent temper. And so this little boy witnessed his father attack his mother uh, in such a violent, uh, angry uh, outburst that uh, the father actually bit the mother's nose off. Um, and imagine what that's like seeing your mum and dad literally kind of tearing each other apart. And so dad was obviously arrested and, and um, eventually uh, put in prison. Uh, mum was taken to a women's refuge with the son. Um, and then while mum was having facial reconstructive surgery, this little lad came into our care. And uh, he's amazing. Uh, if you just even whistle the first few lines of Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5, he's busting out the moves and uh, it was great. He let me dance with him, which is something most of my kids won't let uh, happen. Uh, so I'm too much of a dad dancer, apparently, although I can test that. And uh, finally, the little lad uh, just uh, on the front there. We got a phone call on a Friday afternoon, uh, which if you know anything about social work is a danger zone. 4.45 on a Friday afternoon, we get the call. Uh, social workers need to go home for the weekend. Obviously, they've got stuff they need to be doing. And uh, a child has come into care. And uh, could you help us? And they said, we know you've already got a placement, but we're desperate. Could you help us? And we said, OK, what can you tell me about the person? And they said, well, we can't tell you much, but we can tell you he's a biter. That moment, your heart kind of sinks, doesn't it? My heart was here, but it's ending up in my stomach. And we're wondering, what are we going to do? You know, what does he bite? Does he bite things or does he bite people? And, you know, what, what's led to the point where he's biting? And when we heard that description of him, something in me clicked. And I began to get a bit angry. And I thought, you know what? Is it fair to write someone off as the worst thing they've ever done? Is that fair? That isn't what God did for you or for me, is it? We are more than the worst thing we've ever done. When God looks at us, he doesn't just see sinners who have broken his law. He also sees people that are precious to him. And so I began to change my heart towards this situation. And as a theologian, I know that every single human being is made in the image of God. And how you treat another person made in the image of God is a reflection of how you feel about God. If you came up at the end of the service and uh, you'd have to be pretty good at it but spat on my picture of my family although it's just a bunch of pixels symbolically you're saying something against my family aren't you so how you treat someone else made in the image of God is a reflection of how you feel about God himself and so we said okay we'll have him let's bring him in and uh, he turned our family upside down. Uh, he, he had had eight families by the time that he was three years old. If you've had that much disruption in your life, is it any wonder that you might have bitten someone out of fear or frustration? And uh, he was a wonderful lad. I remember taking him on his first train journey. It was an eight-minute long journey. And it was a good job it was only eight minutes because he spent that entire time with his nose pressed to the window, shouting everything he saw. 
bus, tree, sheep, bridge, car. And the whole carriage was just in stitches, <laughs> enjoying his joy of this experience. I remember I took him to the park after a crazy day at work where we'd been trying to get people to work together, even though they had very different views about women in leadership, and to try to get them to work together. And I was exhausted. And he said to me, can we go to the park? And uh, that was the day that he went cycling and we took his stabilizers off and he nailed it. And he was zooming around the park and he was just shouting, awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, he couldn't stop. That's why he was zooming. <laughs> but there in the park, I'm having a moment. I'm feeling connected to God in a way that I hadn't done for a long time. That maybe I hadn't even done in a worship service. And I felt, you know what, this moment here, this is worship to God, isn't it? This is a way that we connect with the father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. And so we've been calling the church to get involved with the care of vulnerable children because we believe it's part of our worship to God. And I want to show you in the passage that we had read to us so well uh, just, just now why this matters from a scriptural point of view. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to switch it on now uh, or open it if you're using one of these church Bibles and uh, going to look at page 1082, John chapter 14. And hopefully you've been in this passage for a while and you'll realize it's a very precious part of the Bible. And all scripture is God-breathed, but there's something about John 14 through 17 that I've always found particularly precious. We're being invited into a, a family conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And in chapter 14, verse 1, as Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified, knows he's going to carry the weight of the sins of the world, he speaks to his disciples like this, John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I love the fact it's Jesus that's going to go to the cross, but it's the disciples that are getting comforted. Jesus cares for his friends, even at his darkest and most difficult moments. And he reaches out to them with comfort. And he explains to them that he is going away. But the reason he's going away to the cross is that they, the disciples, can be welcomed home into God's household. Here we see the hospitality of God to people like you and me. Whatever we've done, whatever our history, whatever the worst thing we've done, God still wants to welcome us into his household. And now this passage that we looked at today, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, what does it mean? I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus is going to leave his disciples, isn't he? He's going to leave them, even though they've left family and jobs and security in order to follow him. Even though the disciples are going to face death for their discipleship, for their walking in the footsteps of Jesus, Jesus is going to leave them. 
But he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What does he mean by that? I think there are three options. The first option is that Jesus is going to come to the disciples at the resurrection. So they won't be left as orphans because he's going to visit them again. But we know Jesus only comes for maybe 50 days, doesn't he? After his death as the resurrected Jesus. He only comes for 50 days before he ascends up to heaven. So how does that help the disciples not to feel like abandoned children, just a 50-day long visit? I don't think the resurrection appearances is what Jesus means here. Well, some people think what Jesus means is, I will come again at the end of time. I'm thinking, well, that, that is wonderful. It's the hope of the Christian life, isn't it? That, that death is not the end. That one day Jesus will come and take us into the family, take us personally into the presence of the Father. But for these disciples, this is going to mean they're going to mean the rest of their days without knowing Jesus in the flesh. They died before the, the, the return of Christ happened. Many centuries of believers have died without the personal return of Jesus. So to what extent are we not left as orphans? I don't think he means either the resurrection or his return. I think Jesus means something else when he says, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. Have a look at verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The promised Holy Spirit. And you probably know in, in Greek the word for another has two meanings. It's either another of a different kind or another of the same kind. And here he means another of the same kind. Just as I was with you, as, as a counsellor, as an advocate, as an encourager, so the Holy Spirit will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans because I will come to you by the Holy Spirit. He will be the one to assure you that you belong to God the Father. Just in case you think I might be misreading that, flip over to Romans chapter 8 and I want you to look at verse 14 where this same idea gets picked up again. This is on page 1135 in your church Bibles. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you by the Holy Spirit and I will adopt you into my family forever. Now I get to travel a lot and speaking and visiting many churches. I listen to loads of, of preaching and I've heard so many talks about what it means to become a Christian. And many people tell me it's all about forgiveness or it's all about rescue, or it's all about redemption or justification. And these are, are wonderful truths about our relationship with God. But they all fall short of being adopted into God's family. J.I. Packer says adoption is the most treasured and precious doctrine of our relationship with God. And yet we never talk about it. So I'm going to ask you to talk about it just for a minute. I've got the nine o'clock service to talk about it. So if they can do that, you can do that. Here's what the question is, and you're going to talk about it with your neighbour just for a couple of minutes. 
If we only ever talk about forgiveness or redemption or justification or rescue or whatever your favorite metaphor is, what is lost in comparison with talking about being adopted into God's family? What does the doctrine of adoption give you in your relationship with God that these other descriptions don't give you? Do you understand the question? Do you understand my accent? Good, okay. So just for a couple of minutes, have a chat. And I'm going to come to you and I'll come to you 